Hovender Park. Uh, it's going to be a Mexican-themed potluck. We're all going to, there's something that's going to go out on Church Community Builder. You can look for an opportunity to sign up to uh, bring some food. We're going to have kids, games, and activities, and adult activities. And uh, it really should be a great time together as a church. We are celebrating our church's 10-year uh, anniversary. Christ Church has been here 10 years this summer, and uh, that's w- uh, why we're doing this sermon series on hospitality. Hospitality was really at the heart of uh, what we imagined this uh, community to be about when it's formed. And so even if you're brand new to Christ Church, uh, put May 19th on your calendar and uh, come celebrate with us. Also, you may have friends that you've wanted to introduce to our community. Uh, we would love to, for them to come and eat some food and uh, kids can play in a bouncy house and, and uh, get some notes from people, play some volleyball or spike ball or um, but uh, so make sure you have that on your calendar. It's going to be uh, su- uh, Sunday, May nineteenth at three thirty. So uh, we're going to turn now to uh, God's Word. This is uh, a short paragraph from First uh, Peter chapter four, starting in verse seven. Hear the word of the Lord. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be sober. Uh, Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, as we approach your holy word, would you uh, give us teachable hearts? We pray that you would lead us to faith in Christ and obedience to him. So uh, we pray that you would grant us ears to hear your words uh, to us. And uh, we ask that you would send your spirit to apply these words into each one of our lives. lives. Uh, Enlighten our minds to understand who you are. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, today is our uh, second sermon in a four-part series on the, on the topic of hospitality. And if you were here last week, you know, we looked at the, the passage from Ruth chapter 2, one of the beautiful depictions in the Old Testament of God's vision for hospitality among his people. And uh, this week we're going to talk about hospitality inside the church with each other, in hospitality in and you'll notice the repetition in this passage that I just read to you of the, the words one another, right? You see that in verse 8 where it says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. And then verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. And actually in verse 9, the word there for hospitality, phylloxenos, we've talked about this in the past, literally means love for strangers. And it's interesting that he's, Peter is saying, you have strangers in the church. 
that you need to love. And, you know, many of you would say, yeah, I look at a lot of these people. I don't know who they are. And there are strangers even in the same service that I go to or definitely in the first service. I know I don't know any of those people. And so Peter recognizes that hospitality is not just something that we need to do with our coworkers or our neighbors or people that God brings into our lives out in the world. We need to do that among uh, one another. So we need to welcome each other into our families, into our, into our homes, and into our lives. And, um, you know, my wife Shannon and I have experienced this really powerfully. When we were uh, first married, we were 21, we were still in college, and I was a pretty new Christian. I'd never been a member of a church, and, you know, we were getting married, and we said, you know, we probably should find a church that we're a part of and commit to. And a friend of ours told us about uh, Wiser Lake Chapel, which is a little church you've probably driven by a hundred times on the guide on your way out to Linden. And uh, so someone told us to go there, and we really wanted to go somewhere. We were going to learn the Bible and learn some theology and teach, you know, learn what it means to have a Christian family and things like that. And our first Sunday there, there was a man, an older man, who we'd never met before. He said, why don't you come over to our house for, for dinner, which dinner meant lunch. It's something I found out in the Dutch culture that after church, you have, you have dinner right after church. And we said, well, sh- sure, why not? And so we, this guy had built his own house. It was a log cabin out in the woods. And we're driving on this dirt road back to this log cabin. And we come in, and he's got his kids there. And we sat around the, the table and with hymnals and sang hymns before the meal. And then there was a, a a sheep or something that had been caught in a barbed wire fence. That that was our dinner, and and that was a new experience for us. And so we sat and we just and it, it was like we had stepped into a new world that we'd never experienced before. And I guarantee you, we went back to that church the next Sunday. And the next Sunday, someone else invited us over. And then the third Sunday, someone else invited us over. And I'll tell you, within three weeks, we said, "This is our family. This is our home." And 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 over the next three years. We, everything that I know about the Bible, about theology, about worship, about what it means to be a part of a church, about a Christian marriage, a Christian family, all I learned in that church. And it all began with the hospitality of fellow Christians welcoming us into their families. And we were strangers to them. And they welcomed us in and then we said, all of a sudden, this is our home, this is our family. Now, Christ Church Bellingham, our church, is somewhere between zero and 100% effective in doing what I just described to Wise Lake Chapel. Some of you might say, yeah, that happened to me at Christ Church Bellingham. Some of you might say, that's never happened to me here. And so uh, the question we're asking during this series is how do we be a community where that's a regular part of our life together? Well, I think this passage has some important insights for us. And in, you know, 1 Peter, the, the main body of 1 Peter from chapter 2 to 4 is about Christian living. And this paragraph that I just read to you is at, is at the end of that center body of, of the letter. And it gives Peter's summary of the Christian life and what it's like in, in a, a few simple things. And so I'd like to talk about four insights this morning from this passage about, and about how they help us to have a culture of hospitality in, this, in the church. And, and I'm going to give them to you as I go along. Sometimes I give you the points up front. This time I'm going to give them to you as we go along. So four insights this morning that I think are, can really be powerful for us as a church. So four insights. The first is this. Hospitality starts with spiritual formation. Hospitality starts with spiritual formation. And by spiritual formation, I mean the process by which the character of Christ is formed in each one of us individually. 
So the Bible says that our expectation for the Christian life is that by God's grace, that all of us over the course of our life are going to become more like Jesus. And we can't just think that we're going to automatically be hospitable people like those older people at Wise Lake Chapel who invited me into their home. You're not just naturally going to be like that. We're not naturally like that. God has to do a work in us. And I think this passage tells us about two disciplines in particular that uh, precede a life of really robust hospitality. And this is what the two disciplines are. The first one, the first discipline is that we must have a devotional life. And by devotional life, I just mean reading the Bible and praying. And you see that there in verse 7 where it says, the end of all things is at hand. I'm going to come back to that phrase later in the sermon. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And the reason I think this is about our devotional life is because the word there, sober-minded, Peter uses earlier in the letter in chapter 1 when this is what he says there. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Preparing your mind for action is what it means to be sober-minded. It's about thinking rightly. It's about clear thinking. It's about doctrinal formation. What does the Bible teach? I understand the Bible. I've read the Bible. I've internalized the Bible. I've thought through the Bible. And so what this verse is basically describing is learning to think like a Christian and then learning to think in such a way that it causes us to have a prayer life. And uh, because the only way that we are going to have a life of hospitality is if we have a mind that's been shaped by God's word and that we've experienced communion with God who is the hospitable one. We've experienced his welcome of us through prayer. And then we extend that welcome to other people. And, you know, I, I think this is important because, you know, for some of you, when we talk about hospitality, you might say, well, you know, if I'm honest with you, I don't, I don't really care about other people. I mean, especially people I don't know. So I don't feel a burden to welcome strangers into my home or into my life. I've got enough, enough to worry about with myself. And, uh, well, if that's you, I would say, well, first, I appreciate your honesty. that <laughs> You don't naturally care about people. And I don't think we should be surprised by our spiritual poverty that we don't care about people. We're not naturally hospitable. And what it means is that we'll never be hospitable unless we come to love the things that God loves, that what God is like is formed in us. We're not going to be like that unless something is transformed in us to learn to think like the Lord through reading his word and through prayer. And so these are essential for us to have a culture of hospitality in our church. And, uh, you know, I'll give you an example of this. Uh, There's a woman named... Rosaria Butterfield, who's written a, a book on hospitality called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And Rosaria Butterfield was a, the chair of, I think, the Women's Studies Department at Syracuse. And uh, she was an activist in the LGBTQ community. And she was a really pretty anti-Christian woman. And she was befriended by uh, a pastor and his wife who would have her over for dinner and they'd have these discussions for a couple years. And eventually she became a Christian. And because of that experience, Hospitality was a really important part of her, of her Christian life. And she has a pretty amazing kind of culture in her home where there's just constantly people in her home. And, and she just says, you come into my home, you're going to be a part of my life. So if i got to do the laundry, you're going to help me do the laundry. And if I'm doing the laundry and my kids need help with their math homework, you're going to help them with their math homework and do my dishes or whatever. And it's just like you're a part of my family. And uh, 
But at the beginning of the book, in chapter 1, it's almost the first, chapter, first page of the book, she describes her devotional life. And she says, this is what she says, I started my devotions that morning as I have been doing for the past 17 years as Ken and Floyd Smith, that's the pastor and his wife, modeled for me praying that the Lord would open my eyes to see wondrous things in his word. That morning, after I read through five psalms and one proverb, I began to pray. I typically intersperse prayer with Bible reading and note-taking. You see how it's the reading of the word is leading into prayer. Uh, in the morning, I pray in concentric circles. I start by praying for myself that the Lord would increase my love for him. Uh, grow in me holiness. Give me courage to proclaim Christ in word and deed as a living epistle. Lead me to repent and give me the humble mind and heart of Christ and the kind of comfort of the Holy Spirit to make me a more faithful and loving wife and mother. Her life of hospitality did not come from nowhere. It was born out of reading the word and prayer. And I know some of you will hear about Rosario Butterfield and you say, you know, wow, she sounds kind of like a super Christian, like five Psalms and, a, and then a proverb and then she prays through the word and she has all these people in her home all the time. And I don't think the point is that all of us are going to be Rosario Butterfield. But the point is that if you don't feel a burden towards the stranger or towards people in this church community that you don't know, then uh, the starting place is not start being hospitable. It's, it's towards having your mind and heart transformed through the word of God in prayer. And uh, so that's the first kind of aspect of spiritual formation. Hospitality is born out of spiritual formation. Another aspect of spiritual formation that's, that's in this text is that we must also know our own gifts. I think that's an important part of our spiritual maturity is knowing our own gifts. How has God gifted us to serve him? And you see that there in verse 10 where it says, As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Now a couple things to note about that passage. Uh, the first thing is that it assumes that Jesus has given every Christian a gift for serving others. Every single Christian has been given a gift to enable them to serve others. There are no exceptions. And you are commanded to be a steward of that gift. And so if you're here and you say, you know, I'm not sure that I have a way to contribute to serve and care for others or be hospitable, you're wrong. And it is a spiritual discipline to know what gift God has entrusted to you. Are you a good listener? You gotta find people to listen to. <laughs> Are you a gatherer? You know, some of you, you know, I just get people together and get them excited to go do something together. Gather people together. Get them together. You got to do that. Are you good at cooking? Cook for people. <laughs> Are you handy? Go over to people's houses and help them out. Are you good at noticing who's being left out? I mean, that's, if that's your gift, I notice who's left out. You should know that wherever I go, it's my calling. I have to steward to go find the people who are left out and make sure they feel included. And every Christian has been entrusted with a gift from the king, and it is our responsibility to know what it is. Now, the other thing that this passage says is that our gifts, all of us, are varied gifts. That's what Peter says, it is varied gifts. Uh, um, 
the, God's grace in each of our lives is different. It looks different in each of our lives. And you might think things like, you know, oh, I can't cook like that person, or I'm not as extroverted as that person. And that whole comparison route, you don't want to go down that road. That's just going to stumble us up. The, this is the good news, is to ask the question, how do I influence? How do I bless? How do I impact people? Find out what that is. That's a part of your spiritual maturity to know what that gift is and then do that. That's how we become, have a culture. So this is, this is the starting place. The first point is that, is that hospitality is born out of spiritual formation. It means having our minds and hearts shaped by God's word. And it means knowing our gifts. And the reason that has to happen in us is because hospitality, caring about strangers, people we don't even know, People who just walk by and are like, I don't know anything about their life. Caring about them is not natural for us. We, I can't get up here and say, you guys should be hospitable and then you would do it. That won't work. Okay? But I think that it's also uh, spiritual formation, spiritual vitality is especially true also because of a second insight from this passage. Not only that hospitality begins with spiritual formation, but second, hospitality overlooks offenses hospitality overlooks offenses. And you see that there in verse 8, where it says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. I want to make a few comments about that verse as well. So first, we're supposed to keep on loving each other earnestly, which means that love and, you know, being hospitable as a community, being a welcoming community demands a kind of perseverance out of us. It's, it's a persevering uh, experience, you know, or Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. That's be, having a hospitable culture. We have to have that kind of mind. And when he says to do it earnestly, it means with devotion to each other. The reason we're hospitable is because we're devoted to it. You know, that's why, you know, when you become a member of our church, you take vows, and you say, I am committing myself to the work, you know, to this community. Because my just emotional inspiration is going to sometimes be more and sometimes be left. And the thing that has to hold us together is that we're devoted to one another. Karen Jobes, who's a commentator on First Peter, she puts it this way. She says, earnest love speaks not so much of emotional intensity, but is in this context a love that persists despite difficulties, because it is a love that covers a multitude of sins. In fact, you know what our first membership vow is when we all become members here? Let me read this. See if this is inspiring to you. Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure, and without hope save in his sovereign mercy? Just bring it together. Just warm, warm your heart. There is an honesty to that. We are a bunch of people who are sinners without hope and we displease God and we are going to displease one another. And uh, that means the, without question that we're going to come together and offend each other in our life together. That's the first part of our membership vows is we're going to offend one another. And in fact, Peter goes on to say that love covers a multitude of sins. He anticipates that there are a multitude of ways that we're going to find <laughs> to offend each other. And, uh, and that's a reference from Proverbs 10, 12, which says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. If we cannot overlook offenses in one another, we will not have a community. 
if we cannot overlook offenses, we will not have a community. And I think this is such an incredibly important theme for us, you know, that God has forgiven us all of our offenses against him. And so he says, you had better forgive one another. If I've done that for you, then you do that for one another. And the church must have an atmosphere and a culture of grace toward one another. And we will never be a hospitable people if we, were, if we are easily offended. Now, uh, Rosario Butterfield, who uh, you know, I, I talked about earlier in the sermon, uh, and in another place, she, she extends this to talk about not just welcoming each other into each other's homes, but she talks about welcoming all kinds of people that are really different than us. And this is what she says. Radically ordinary hospitality characterizes those who don't fuss over different worldviews represented at the dinner table. The truly hospitable aren't embarrassed to keep friendships with people who are different. They don't buy the world's bunk about this. They know that there is a difference between acceptance and approval, and they courageously accept and respect people who are different than them. So hospitality overlooks offenses. And if you want to know how important is the culture of grace and forgiveness and patience, how important is that for our church? What does that verse say? Above all. Peter says it is the most important quality of our life together is that love covers a multitude of sins. It's the most important thing above all. Okay? So how does our church have a culture of hospitality? We need our minds and hearts spiritually formed by God's word and prayer, and we need to know our own gifts. And we also need to be a people that are not easily offended. You know, as Proverbs 19 says, it is the glory of a man to overlook an offense. And I think when we have those things in place, then we're ready for this third insight from this passage, that hospitality is a command. Hospitality is a command. In verse 9, we are commanded to show hospitality to one another. Like, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And I think in some ways this brings the whole sermon series to a head. You know, if you think, you know, yeah, it's cool. This church has a table and it's logo and they're into eating together. And that's cool if people, you know, spend time with one another. Uh, we all have to be sober to the fact that we are commanded to invite the stranger into our homes and into our lives. People that are different than us. Now, some commentators on 1 Peter have said, well, you know, what this is really talking about is that in the ancient world, uh, um, you know, Christian communities were starting all over the Mediterranean, and, and there would be itinerant preachers who would travel from town to town, and they'd go preach and teach for a while, and then they'd go to the next town. And basically, when the New Testament talks about hospitality, it says one of, the, one of these missionaries shows up, give them a place to stay, feed them, and then send them on their way. Now, I think of course, that would be a part of uh, an application of, of this verse. But as we've noticed, Peter repeatedly emphasizes show hospitality to one another. Love one another. Serve one another. Which uh, means that he probably means members of the church using their homes as places for Christian fellowship and worship. I'll tell you, you know, 1 Peter is written to Christians who uh, are being persecuted. Uh, many of the people who are hosting Christian communities in their homes are, uh, might attract persecution because they're welcoming people into their homes. Many of these Christians have been ostracized by their friends and by their family. And so they really have no community. And so these Christians felt like foreigners and aliens in the world and in fact, the, the uh, first Peter, the beginning of first Peter, this is wh whose Peter is writing to. He says, those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. 
And so the reason we all, we need uh, to welcome each other into our lives and families is because we are all strangers and exiles in this world. And I'll tell you, there's a, there's a member of our church named Hung Ern Eng, who, uh, Hung Ern uh, is Chinese, he grew up in Malaysia, and uh, he's lived in Boston, he's lived in Bellingham, and Two weeks ago, he uh, had sent out an email to some of us saying, hey, I'm, uh, I'm getting interviewed to get a green card. And, uh, you know, I'd love your prayers uh, for me. Actually, I, he just told me this morning in the first service that uh, sounds like he got it. And so he's going to be sticking around with us for a while. But I asked him if I could share with you a, a portion of his email that he sent to us. And, um, and this is what Hungerin says. He says, it is strange because for the past 15 years of my life, I've been living in various countries categorized as a visitor or alien. For many years, this lack of permanence and belonging bothered me to the point of putting life on hold because I never knew where I would end up or when I would be forcibly whisked along to the next place. I'd avoid making friends and investing in community or buying things and often feeling paralyzed Anxious, unwelcome, and different. In the past three years, though, I've slowly, and not without some pain, learned in my heart, though I've long known in my head, how we are all sojourners and exiles on this earth. And all here is but a fleeting breath. We rightly plan and do what is necessary, but the goal of knowing Christ, but with the goal of knowing Christ and groaning, looking forward to the day when we are united with him for eternity. Hungern is saying we are all, to varying degrees, feeling the alien exile sojourner status. We all say, I don't feel at home here. And that should propel us to be a family to one another. And so we are commanded to show hospitality to one another. And Peter adds, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Do not complain about it. Clearly back then, people grumbled about having to open their homes and uh, they came up with reasons for not doing it the same way we do. And maybe some of you have grumbled a little hearing that we're gonna have a four-part sermon series on hospitality. And like, okay, do I wanna hear about this? So the question is, what's the antidote to grumbling about uh, hospitality? Well, that's our last point. So we've said so far that hospitality starts with spiritual formation. A hospitable culture is, is not easily offended, and we must show hospitality because we are commanded to do it. But our fourth, fourth insight is this, but why? Hospitality comes from the kingship of Jesus. Hospitality is, is a part of Jesus' kingdom. It's a picture of what Jesus' kingdom is. And, you know, I mentioned that, that phrase at the beginning of verse 7 where it says, the end of all things is near. I know that some of you, when you hear that, the end of all things is near, it meant that Peter 2,000 years ago was saying, the world is going to be destroyed soon. And I don't think that's what he meant. And uh, because the reason, the word the end there is the Greek word telos, which means the goal, the, the purpose where everything was moving towards. And then he says, actually, in Greek, the first words in that sentence are all things. And he's saying, I want you to think of the universe, the cosmos, the, you know, all of nature, all of creatures, all of civilizations, all humans. What is the purpose of all of it? The end and goal of all of it is now here at hand. And what he's talking about is that 
Jesus, when Jesus, the Son of God, has come and he has died for all of our sins and he has uh, inaugurated his kingdom and Jesus is now enthroned in heaven, the purpose of all things has now come together in Jesus and it's happening in Jesus' communities. And I think it's remarkable that Peter puts together this majestic fulfillment of all things in the cosmos. He says, what is the fulfillment of all things? It's just the mundane, ordinary acts of hospitality. The end of all things is at hand. And, I'll, you know, I'll give you a little a picture of, of what I mean by this. Uh, you know, many of you have probably read the children's story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is about the land of Narnia that is, was living under a curse. The white witch had cursed Narnia to have a permanent winter to it. And Aslan, who's the king of the wood, is coming to deliver Narnia from this winter and there is this transition that's happening where all the snow is melting and it's becoming spring again and there's a scene where the white witch is on her sleigh and she's kind of going on this journey through the woods and all of a sudden she says what have we here stop and there's a little scene that is a picture of the transition from the cursed world to the renewed world and this is what the scene is it says a little way off at the foot of a tree sat a merry party a squirrel and his wife with their children and two satyrs and a dwarf and an old dog fox, all on stools round a table. Edmund couldn't quite see what they were eating, but it smelled lovely and there seemed to be decorations of holly. And he wasn't at all sure that he didn't see something like a plum pudding. At the moment when the sledge stopped, the fox, who was obviously the oldest person present, had just risen to its feet, holding a glass in its right paw, as if it was going to say something. Now, if you know the story, you know the white witch put an end to this little party. But what these creatures, they're all different. They're all different from one another. What they knew is when the kingdom comes, when the end of the curse comes, what do we do? We get together and we have a little dinner party. <laughs> and that's the picture of the kingdom. And actually, C.S. Lewis, in another uh, essay that he wrote in 1945, this is what, what he said. He said, as long as we are thinking only of natural values, we must say that the sun looks down on nothing half so good as a household laughing together over a meal or two friends talking over a pint of beer or a man alone reading a book that interests him and that all economics, politics, laws, armies, and institutions, save insofar as they prolong and multiply such scenes, are a mere plowing the sand and sowing the ocean a meaningless vanity and vexation of spirit. And what he's saying is that uh, all the huge institutions, the wars that are fought, the armies that are fought, the whole purpose of all those things is to create little scenes of people coming together and eating. And what Peter's saying, the end of all things is at hand. And what does the end of all things look at like? You and me, thankfully, sharing a meal together with cheer, cheerfully loving one another, that is the kingdom. And Jesus' kingdom is not bringing taxes and armies and laws and bureaucracy. That's not what he's bringing. He's bringing little scenes of sinners who've been redeemed, loving one another. And that is why we show hospitality without grumbling, because we love the kingdom, because the kingdom is here, and because the king is good. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for the goodness of your kingdom. 
Lord, you know both that we long to have a, a culture like this that Peter describes for us. We long for it in our church. We also know that our flesh resists it. So we pray that you would uh, teach us about your grace, about your forgiveness, about the strength that you give us to enable us to live like this. And, um, and you would gradually form Christ in us that we would become more and more um, in tune with your kingdom, and the beauty and goodness of your kingdom, the end of all things that we do and believe is here and is at hand. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.